welcome to this podcast. Now, in this one, the um, question, <laughs> I guess, is where is the best place to photograph wildlife? And the obvious answer is wherever the wildlife is. So um, we'll get that one out of the way. But I had a bit more in mind when I um, asked this question. So I'm thinking of the kind of situation where you might be going to see wildlife that you don't normally have the opportunity to see. And I'm also thinking that it would be in an environment where the animals, whatever they are, are in their natural environment. And um, the the kind of curse of wildlife photography is that the animals generally don't cooperate that much. And a lot of wildlife photography is patience and waiting for something to happen and sometimes nothing happens. That's just the reality of it. So the reason for raising this is that often when you're in that situation and something does happen, you've really got to be ready and able to take the shot because you may not get a second chance. And um, that's why what's kind of prompted this question. So the first thing I would say, where is the best place to photograph wildlife, is that if you're getting ready for a trip like that, I would say look at what's around you what is in your home or in in the immediate vicinity to your home or somewhere where it's easy for you to um uh, to get to now that might mean photographing a pet uh, ideally doing something but not necessarily it depends what sort of animal you're looking to photograph but if you start practicing on real animals they're they're going to be unpredictable to some extent and it starts getting you in that mindset. So what are the things that you need to consider? Well, with the photograph itself, you want to be thinking about composition. So I've spoken before about uh, becoming um, a storyteller, visual storyteller, and applying that to wildlife. So I'm not going to go into that particularly in um, this uh, podcast because it's already been covered. But you do need to be thinking about the kind of composition. So if you can think about it, you know, what do you want? Do you want to show movement in the animal? Are you trying to freeze everything? Uh, is there something dramatic? Do you want to get a close-up? Are you looking at a wider shot? So all of these kind of questions. And if you're not really sure, now is the time to practice with subjects that you can get relatively easy access to. So this is where something like a pet playing or maybe somebody playing with their pet is a good um, opportunity. If it's if it's not someone within your immediate family or friends, uh, do ask permission. <laughs> Otherwise, you get into all sorts of other trouble. So that's the first thing. Look at where you can begin to just practice and develop the kind of skills you're going to need when you go off on this trip, on, on um, um, this experience to see these animals. And... What that leads you to is then the the next thing that you really need to be on top of, and that's knowing your camera. So it's no good having something dramatic suddenly happen in this amazing place, which is maybe on a trip of a lifetime, and then you're trying to remember how to set the camera because you're, you're going to come away very disappointed unless you're extremely lucky. Uh, you're going to be very disappointed with the results you get. So now also when you're doing this practice it's the time to get very familiar with the camera. So the modes that the camera offers, because I'm assuming you're not going to want to shoot in auto. And here I'm assuming you've got a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, something that gives you uh, more creative control. So if you're not going to be shooting in auto, what are you going to be using? Are you going to be fully manual? Because often that's not going to work terribly well for you either. 
So with auto, the camera will set up, generally get the exposure right, but the rest of it, um, it's, it's then uh, a bit of luck, uh, what the camera gives you. And also you like to have everything in focus, so your depth of field control is like to be um, either extremely limited or non-existent. And, you know, what, do you, what have you bought the DSLR camera for anyway? If you're going to use it just in auto, you might just use your phone camera, frankly, um, because a lot of them will give you the ability to zoom a bit more. Or just if you're using a zoom lens on a DSLR and using it in auto, you really are not using anything like the full capability of that camera. And the results you're getting are frankly going to be pretty mediocre. You might be excited by them, which is great. But honestly, looking at um, what is available on that camera or the potential of that camera, you're falling a long way short of what it's able to deliver. So using auto, I would say no. And in fact, on this podcast, I would say let's make a couple of agreements here. And one of them when you're doing this practice work is that you don't use auto now you might choose to use manual which is good because manual gives you full creative control however if you're in a situation where something is happening very fast you're unlikely look the 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 odds are against you getting a good result if you're just in manual Um, you might get away with it but it means you've got to predict an awful lot of things and get them right so i would suggest you look at one of the intermediate modes and just get familiar with what your camera offers and get a feel for how the, each of those modes work and what kind of results you can get with them. So um, that's the kind of uh, thing to be doing on the camera. And once you've started practicing and um, you've found a mode setting that works for the kind of photography you're planning to do, then... I would suggest you stick with that mode and, and then get very familiar with it. So, and, and by getting familiar with it, I mean that you can use it without consciously having to think about it particularly. You can respond very quickly and get the kind of results that you ultimately want to get. So taking it a, a stage further, what are the kind of things that are good to photograph? So I'm going to suggest birds. Now, you might not be interested in photographing birds, and that's fine. Um, some people love photographing birds, and they're set up with equipment to do that other people aren't so much but birds are a great subject because they're quite tricky if you've got a bird flying and you're trying to get it in focus and close up but with a narrower depth of field so uh, let's take a situation where you have a bird flying across a background in the distance it might be houses or it might be trees or whatever the challenge would be to photograph that bird in flight keep the bird nice and sharp but have the background out of focus Now, you might want to have the bird frozen or you might want some movement in the bird. These are, again, things you can experiment with. And the reason for suggesting this is that in order to achieve those results, you need to have a certain level of mastery of your camera. And because the bird is moving, it means you're going to have to be probably refocusing to some extent. So you need to know how the focusing works on your camera. Using autofocus is fine. Uh, You might find that in certain situations, switching to manual focus gives you better results. You might even want to try things like back button focus. That's a whole other thing that I'm not going to talk about on this podcast. But if you are aware of what that is, then um, the chances are it's something you've experimented with. And that also will give you, um, excuse me, different results. It means you can react 
differently when you when you set your camera up can you even use back button focus on your camera so this is why I think birds make a good practice subject even if you're not going to be shooting birds where you go because they are moving and they could be moving across your field of view they might be moving towards you they might be moving sort of diagonally so across the field of view and towards you or away from you which means that your distance from them is changing so you've got to handle um, differing focus requirements and knowing when to focus how do you set up your focal points on the camera on the autofocus what sort of because your autofocus on your camera is likely to have different ways of focusing it might have a zone focus it might have a, a particular spot focus so what do you want to be using so this is where come so this is where working with this practicing with this means that you start to have to have a deeper knowledge of how your camera works so that you can get the most from it and this is where you begin to step away and I believe you in my opinion you become a creative photographer rather than just someone who takes snapshots because if you're not if you're setting in auto everything's on auto you're using whatever the camera defaults to on your autofocus settings as well you might as well be using a smartphone in my opinion other than perhaps you've got better zoom capability but really you've you're wasting the creative potential of that camera um, another thing to work with is to find static subjects. So this is where a pet, if you, either if you have one of your own or if someone you know has a pet, you might try different shots of them. And the reason I'm suggesting an animal rather than a static subject like a tree or anything else you care to mention is that it is more realistic if you want to photograph wildlife. So if you're sat there fairly close to, let's say, a dog and... Um, you're going to fill the frame with the dog's head. You're going to do a portrait. So how do you need, where do you need to focus on, first of all? And what depth of field do you need? So I always focus on an eye, but if, you've got, if you can see both eyes, which one are you going to pick? Now, again, if there's a difference between how they're lit, I'd probably go for the eye that, has, that is better lit, that is clearer. It's, it's easier to see the iris and the details of the eye. I would tend to focus on that. What sort of depth of field? I like quite a narrow depth of field. So you need to work out how to do that on your camera. So you've got to understand how you control depth of field on your camera and which mode will give you the best response when you're thinking of your final subject in that way. So this is why practicing is important. And if you're not sure what the answer to those questions is, then pick a, get a subject, sit down with them for a little while and just play with different camera settings um, the nice thing is these days with digital the camera records the settings that you've used so it's quite easy to then go back and look at them and if you like if you get a particular result that you really like take a look at what the settings were on the camera when you shot that and maybe try doing a few more um, shots with th those settings so it might be the mode you're using how you set the depth of field all this kind of stuff but it is, is well worth doing. In the days when I was learning, when it was all film, I used to write things down and um, wait for the pictures to come back, <laughs> which wasn't always the most reliable method to use, and it also took a while. So using a digital camera, it's great. You've got a, a lot of immediate information, immediate feedback that you can tap into and uh, then use. So all of these things are important. And then I suggest you kind of recombine. So once you've done a bit of work with the birds go back uh, you know and you've done your work with this animal you're doing portrait shots on 
Um, what have you learned? How can you, you know, are there different settings that came out when you were trying those two exercises? Or was it the same setting? Or do you find that you prefer one over the other? And if you prefer one over the other, try shooting the other subject. So if you, if you really like what you got when you were shooting your dog in this example, go back and shoot some birds with that, that camera mode set up and that depth of field set up. How does that work? What do you have to change to get the result that you really want to get? And um, how quickly can you do it? So this is where using what's available to you in, on a day-to-day -day or a day-to-day -day setting is really important. And I, I don't think you can overestimate the value of it because you want these things to become second nature where you're not even really thinking about it when you do it. You automatically go to the camera. You've already got the camera in the right sort of mode. You have um, uh, autofocus point to set up correctly. The How the camera is measuring light is set up correctly. So again, this is another aspect of the camera. And this might all sound complicated, but there's, there's only a few things to know. So there's your mode. It's really to know the mode, how those works. Pick a mode and just use it. Don't worry about the rest of it too much. Um, and just get to know certain aspects of the camera. And these are probably things that, so the focal point, for example, it's probably something you'll set up once and then leave it. Just know which ones you use. The same with how you're measuring light. Are you doing the whole frame or are you doing a particular point? So just experiment with those. And typically, as I say, once you've found something that works, you'll probably leave the camera set up that way. So these aren't settings that you're likely to change often. What you will change are things like your aperture, your um, shutter speed, things like that, because you've got to work with changing situations. And this, this is another reason why knowing how to change it is important. So for example, if you're working um, with an animal, I'm thinking here of when I was photographing tigers in India, it's a forest, but if it's a bright day, and the animal's on the edge of the forest, then it's it's likely to be in, at some points, brightly lit. So you've got to make sure you're exposing correctly for that. And then it will go into an area of shade. And then you've got to change your settings to get the right exposure again. So you've got to be able to adapt to that very quickly. And you might even have a situation where the, the, the tiger is walking between the trees. So it's walking through areas that are shaded and then brightly lit and then shaded again. So if you don't understand your camera, if you're not familiar with how to just adjust the exposure for that and how to change your settings to compensate for that, you're going to find you come back with a lot of pictures that are either overexposed or underexposed, and you may not be able to retrieve much from them. Uh, with post-processing, you can retrieve, uh, you can get a, a reasonable photograph out of a wrongly exposed photograph but it does depend how far out how wrongly exposed it is and um, what you've got there so definitely one tip is to always shoot raw never shoot jpegs unless all you're doing is shooting for um, uh, social media or, or websites that sort of thing where you want small images but if you um, want to have uh, the biggest range of options I guess so I'm thinking if things should go wrong then um, always shoot raw and definitely if you're going to be uh, aiming to produce high quality pictures that you could perhaps put in a photo book or even print and put on your wall then you definitely want to be shooting raw so once you've done all of that locally um, one thing you can do is to go on a short trip somewhere so that will be more of a challenge because it might be somewhere that you can't go that often 
so the pressure's on more to get it right the first time and this is a good uh, discipline to have another thing that you can do is to shoot in different weather conditions now it may be that you're going somewhere where you're expecting it to be um, dry and uh, perhaps bright it might be a, a, a sort of deserty area or something like that or um, Africa in the middle of summer but what happens if it rains so again shoot in different weather conditions also look at how you can protect your camera because if it's raining uh, what are your options in protecting your camera so for example I use a splash cover uh, which fits my main lens and my camera body it covers them but I don't only use that if it's raining I also use it if it's very dry and dusty because you can get dust inside getting inside the camera some some of this very fine dust will find any small crack even between the lens and the, the mount on the body and get in there so um, think about that as well think about how you can protect your camera if you if you're going to uh, situations where the re either the weather or the conditions are more on the extreme side and what can you do to protect your camera how do you keep your lens clean and uh, what are your options for even changing lenses? Because if you're somewhere where it's either wet or very dusty, you obviously need to have some protection so that you keep everything dry and clean as you're, as you're changing lenses. So these are other things to think about if they're likely to be um, situations for you. And again, I think you can't beat practicing and practicing in different weather conditions. And um, as I've suggested, think about going somewhere that it's not so convenient to go to and with the intention of coming back with some good quality photographs now you may not be able to get the subject that you're going for that's just the realities of wildlife but um, think of some secondary subjects that you can shoot which you know are going to be there and again just experiment with what you've learnt in the work you've done at home and apply different settings different shutter settings different aperture settings uh, maybe even switching modes and seeing what the difference is and um, see if you get the kind of results you were expecting and um, go from there. So th that's really um, covers the tips that I have for you for photographing. So where is the best place to photograph wildlife? Well, actually, it's at home <laughs> in, in the, in the, from the point of view of getting yourself and this is all about you the the you know the camera you, that you have it doesn't really matter to a large extent if you've bought a dslr most of them give you some flexibility in how in in what you can do so they'll all give you a, a, this aspect of creativity you can cert shoot certain shots and frankly most of them in or with most of them in in the most of the conditions you're likely to shoot in any camera is likely to give you a decent result Yes, you can argue about the resolution, um, is the ISO high enough, all that, but you're tending to talk more extreme situations. And most of us don't shoot in those sort of situations, or at least not very often. And frankly, and I'm here I'm thinking things like very low light, all that sort of stuff. And frankly, I found that smartphones tend to work better. And um, that's because uh, they are, um, a lot of the smartphone cameras have been developed from movie camera technology rather than stills camera technology uh, these days probably the gap is closing and mirrorless um, it probably works a little bit better but again it does depend on the camera but if you're looking at um, a mid-range kind of camera uh, that you can get pretty easily not too expensive 
any any DSLR or mirrorless that you buy should give you uh, be able to deliver the kind of results that will uh, give you a, a photograph you're satisfied with. So it comes back to how well do you understand the camera? How well do you know what it is that you want to shoot? So you have to have a good idea of what you think is a good picture anyway. And I'm not talking about just saying, yeah, I like that picture. It's actually been able to say, yeah, I like that because the depth of field is... It's got a big depth of field or it's got a very narrow depth of field. Uh, the contrast is very... Um, it's a very dark picture. It's very moody or it's very bright. I like bright colours. I like black and white. You know, what is it that you are intending to shoot? You've got to be able to define what a good photograph will be for you in that situation. So if you're going off to shoot an animal, what do you want to shoot? Well, for me with humpback whales, it would be um, a whale breaching with everything absolutely frozen. Um, ideally, a good bright sunlight. So the colours are all there. The blues of the, the, the ocean come out. The colours of the whale itself come out. Uh, but everything's sharp. Hopefully, you can see droplets of water. That sort of level of resolution. And they're just fr frozen in midair. So it's literally um, thousandths of a second that I'm shooting. So is that a, is that it, or do I want movement? It could be that a breach, a good breach photograph for me, the whale is something with movement. Everything's blurry, everything's moving. Um, it really comes down to personal preference and whatever floats your boat, to use a phrase. So the key thing to do is to develop habits so that you get to know your camera and you get to know what it's capable of delivering in certain situations whether it's bright light low light wet dark all of that and that you have solutions in your mind that you really don't have to think about that much you just walk out you know it's um it's an overcast day so you already know roughly what you're going to have to set the camera to to get good results and then once you're in the area where your animals are going to be, maybe shoot one or two test shots to get just frames so that you can immediately look and see what sort of exposure you're getting, how's your depth of field working, and then you're ready to go. So it's all about knowledge of your camera, knowledge of what makes a good photograph by being very specific about what makes a good photograph, and then practicing until it becomes second nature and you're not even having to think too much about what you're doing. It's literally seconds of taking a shot, having a look at it, making an adjustment, and that's it. So um, there you go. Uh, hopefully that's given you some food for thought. Hopefully that's given you some tips. If you would like to know more about the, some of the things I've spoken about, because I haven't explained what they are quite deliberately, because um, this podcast is, is really to help you along, but it assumes that you know your camera reasonably well. If you don't know your camera reasonably well, that's fine. You're very welcome to just drop me a line, um, drop an email, uh, because I do have online courses that will teach you everything that I've spoken about. In particular, there's one for DSLR and mirrorless. So you can write to me at graham, so that's G-R-A-H-A-M, at ge.photography. So graham at ge.photography. There is not a .com on that or a .anything else <laughs> at the end of it. It's graham at ge.photography. And um, I can send you the information about the course and then it's up to you uh, whether or not you would like to invest in that and take the course on and uh, what I've done in that course is break things down in a lot of detail 
break down the way the modes work, what they do. There are lots of exercises you can go off and try to get familiar with them. So it's broken down to a single thing in each um, exercise. So you're working with one element of what the camera will do and you work with it until you're familiar with it and you're confident about what it does. The um, course itself, uh, I guess just to explain that very briefly, it's split down into video modules. the longest is, I think, about 20 minutes, but most of them are much shorter than that. Um, after each module, after each new topic you're introduced to, there is an ass- assignment, so you go off and use that. So there's theory, but immediately followed by practice. Uh, there's a little quiz at the end of each module as well. Now, the answers to the quiz questions, if you get really stuck, uh, are in the handbook. Hopefully you won't, because they're not that difficult. They really are just to make... They're, they're just a litmus test to make sure that you've understood the um, uh, the essential topic that was covered in the module. However, that, that that is all there. The answers are all in the um, handbook that comes with the course. Now, the handbook is set up in exactly the same way as the course. So the modules, the lessons, everything is identical. So you can follow through in the handbook. It comes as a PDF. My recommendation is that you print it out locally if you can. But Don't print it A4, print it A5, or it may even go A6, but print it out so it's it's small enough that you can drop in your um, camera bag, or if you, you, there is a uh, a smartphone one, so if you want to use that, print it out so you can chuck it in your backpack or whatever you use. But have it small, if you look at it, you'll see that the the print size is relatively large. It's certainly large for an A4. Uh, I mean, if you've got eyesight issues with just reading, stuff then maybe that's good for you as well it's another option but um i recommend that you print it out because then whenever you wherever you are you can just flip back to that page everything's indexed so you can easily find uh, whatever topic you're looking for and then when you're out with the ca- your camera and you've got it in your camera bag you can quickly look up that um, topic of course if you've got a uh, like a small ipad or something like that you can obviously have it on there as well um, everything links so That is it. I hope you found that useful. I hope that's given you some ideas and I hope that uh, does give you adequate preparation. So if you do go away to photograph wildlife in its natural environment, the camera side of it, you've already nailed and you can then focus on composition. You can focus on enjoying being with the animal, enjoying the experience of being in these um, amazing places and seeing, um, you know, remarkable animals just doing their thing. So I hope you found that useful. I will speak to you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcasts and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.